Working remotely, where you are shouldn't dictate what you do. Work from the road by turning your vehicle into a reliable high-speed data Wi-Fi hotspot with AT&T in-car Wi-Fi. On the network that covers more roads than any other carrier, take your work on the road and AT&T will be there to keep you connected. Connect up to 10 devices and stream conference calls, finish up that presentation, or answer last-minute emails. Why wait? Go to att.com slash in-car Wi-Fi today for free trial eligibility. Based on independent third-party data, number of devices varies by manufacturer. Always pay careful attention to the road and don't drive distracted. Wi-Fi hotspot intended for passenger use only when vehicle is in operation. Compatible device and vehicle required. When you think about the future, what kind of technology do you envision? Whatever the future holds, artificial intelligence will undoubtedly be at the heart of it all. Join Graham Class as he hosts Season 2 of Technically Speaking, an Intel podcast, and hear from the minds transforming healthcare, retail, entertainment, personal computing, and more with the help of AI. Tune in every other Tuesday and explore the latest technology that's changing our world today and creating a more accessible tomorrow. Listen to Technically Speaking, an Intel podcast on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. <clears throat> AT&T connects an O to podcasts. Connect the alarm. Change the podcast you stream. Connect the snooze. Ten more minutes to dream. Connect the shower. Lather up with the news, sports talk, comedians, or movie reviews. Connect with that three-hour philosophy show. Change the drive into work in traffic so slow. Connect the dishes to voices that glow. Thank you to the geniuses of spoken audio. Connect the stories. Change your perspective. Connecting changes everything. AT&T. I'm Katia Adler, host of The Global Story. Over the last 25 years, I've covered conflicts in the Middle East, political and economic crises in Europe, drug cartels in Mexico. Now I'm covering the stories behind the news all over the world in conversation with those who break it. Join me Monday to Friday to find out what's happening, why, and what it all means. Follow The Global Story from the BBC wherever you listen to podcasts. Welcome to Tech Stuff, a production from iHeartRadio. Hey there, and welcome to Tech Stuff. I'm your host, Jonathan Strickland. I'm an executive producer with iHeartRadio. And how the tech are you? It's time for the tech news for Thursday, September 8th, 2022. And Apple held its far out event yesterday and unveiled its iPhone 14 lineup, as well as updates to the Apple Watch line and to its AirPods. So we'll do a quick rundown on some of the highlights. Uh, one thing that Apple has done is it has ditched the physical SIM card. SIM stands for Subscriber Identification Module, and it's that little microchip that's typically embedded into a little piece of plastic that you have to insert into a new phone in order to port your phone number over to a new device. Or you might go and get a SIM card if you're traveling to a foreign country, and this way you can operate on that country's cellular network without ramping up those massive roaming charges. 
Well, Apple already had incorporated digital SIMs into iPhones, but had kept the physical ones as well. Now that's no longer the case. The physical ones are out. So transferring your phone number from one phone to another requires a slightly different process. And uh, well, actually a very different process because there's no move of physical components anymore, but it's, you know, digital rather than physical. And if you are an international traveler, you might have a harder time getting an eSIM so that you can operate on the native cellular network. Uh, so that's kind of a bummer. On the flip side, digital SIMs can let you support more than one phone number on a single device. So you could potentially have like a business line and a personal line both going to the same device but using different phone numbers. So there are pros and there are cons to this approach. Another new feature is the addition of satellite connectivity in the event of an emergency. Uh, so let's say you're a teenager and you've stumbled into one of those ding dang darn slasher movies. You're at a remote campground, maybe it's even Crystal Lake, and there's no cellular service and you need to get an emergency message out to authorities or first responders to come and rescue you. With the satellite connectivity feature, you can use an iPhone 14 to locate a satellite overhead and then connect to it to send essentially an SOS signal so that first responders will know where you are and they can come help you. The feature does require you to have a clear view of the sky. So if there's cover overhead, you might not be able to connect or it might take significantly longer to connect and send a message through. Still, this is a great addition to the iPhone. It's the sort of thing that you hope you will never need, but you're happy to have it available. Apple introduced four models of the iPhone 14 at this event, and the base model, which has a 6.1-inch screen and still runs on the last-generation A15 microchip, comes in at $799. The iPhone 14 Plus is a larger version of the base model, is 6.7 inches with its screen, it has a longer battery life and it costs 899 bucks. It also runs on the A15 microchip. I think these models are a modest upgrade to the base iPhone 13 model. The phones that I think are, are much more interesting are the iPhone 14 Pro and the iPhone 14 Pro Max. So the Pro is 6.1 inches, the Max is 6.7. Uh, that mostly is the difference between the two. Also, the difference involves the price. And the, you know, Pro is going to be based at uh, $999, the Max at $1,099. So, yeah, uh, th both of those phones come with a 48 megapixel rear facing camera. That's four times greater than the base and plus models, which have 12 megapixel cameras. Now, just as a reminder, the megapixels refer to the pixel density of an image, right? The resolution, in other words. That's just one component that determines the quality of a picture. But generally speaking, higher resolution tends to be better, at least if you want to do things like, you know, blow up the photo to a much larger size. If you want to do digital zoom in and that kind of stuff, having higher resolution is important. Anyway, they also have several other features that set them apart from the base models, not the least of which is that they run on the A16 microchip, so Apple's latest microchip. Uh, and for all four of these models, you can start pre-orders tomorrow, September 9th, and the phones will start to ship on September 16th. 
These are not quite enough to convince me to abandon my Android phone and switch over to iPhone, but then I'm so deep in the Google ecosystem that it's hard for me to make the move, which, believe me, is all part of the strategy for companies like Google and Apple. The Apple Watch models that the company showed off were interesting, but I've only ever owned one smartwatch. That was the Pebble back before Pebble got acquired and then subsequently dismantled. So I am not the best person to hype up wearables. Still, one feature I liked was the inclusion of accelerometers that can detect if someone has been involved in an accident, like a car crash. And it activates a feature that lets you call for help right away if, in fact, you were involved in in an accident. And I love seeing safety features like this become standard in devices. Again, you hope you never have to use it but you are thankful that it's there. Apple also unveiled an Ultra watch, which is meant for folks who are hard on their gear, like those who are into extreme sports. So it's more rugged than other models. It also costs a pretty penny, starting at 799 bucks. Then you've got the new AirPods, which reportedly have better noise cancellation capabilities than earlier models. They also have a speaker that lets you find out where the heck you put your darn AirPods. You can use the Find My app and look for your AirPods and it'll make a little noise and you can track them down. And that's a feature I could definitely use because I have a feeling that whenever it comes time for me to move house, when I start packing stuff up, I'm going to come across at least 70 pairs of earbuds that I misplaced at one time or another. So this is definitely one of those features I could use in my earbuds. Still, I'm not likely to drop 250 bucks on a pair of earbuds. And also, I'm not an iPhone user, so I'm not ready to make the leap just yet. Semi-related to this is a little tidbit from the 2022 Code Conference. Tim Cook, the CEO of Apple, was asked by a journalist if Apple would address issues when it comes to messaging between Apple and Android devices, a.k.a the green bubble issue in iMessage, where messages from non-iOS devices pop up as green bubbles. Uh, And there are certain features that iMessage supports that don't work across platforms. This incompatibility means that certain functions like sending videos from one device to another aren't always supported. Cook's response was essentially, Whomever has an Android device in this communication chain should just buy an iPhone and that'll solve the problem. Like rather than solve the compatibility issues, you should just jump on the iPhone bandwagon and that Apple customers haven't really pressed Apple to address this issue. So the company hasn't. Now, Google has been pushing Apple to adopt the rich communications service or RCS standard, but Apple has, um, declined to acquiesce to Google's request. Why? Well, again, it's about convincing folks that they need to stay within the Apple ecosystem. iMessage is another feature that reinforces lock-in. Fun times. Oh, and uh, a different take on Apple and lock-in. Let's talk about Apple's iCloud data center in China. That's where employees have been locked into a closed-loop system within the facility for the last week. They are not allowed to go home. They're not allowed to see their families. And yes, this has to do with another COVID-19 issue in China. So China has a zero tolerance approach to any kind of outbreak of COVID-19, no matter how small, and requires regions to lock down whenever a case arises. 
In order to avoid downtime, some facilities, like this iCloud data center, will force employees to live at the data center for the duration of the lockdown and continue working. We've covered similar situations with Tesla, and this is brutal. Now, arguably, you could say it's an effective way to limit the spread of COVID-19, but it's, you know, a massive trade-off here. Anyway, Apple hasn't had much of an option when this comes down to it, because as long as the company wants to operate in China, it has to play by China's rules. And part of that is that, you know, China requires all companies that have the deal with with the private data of Chinese citizens to operate solely on Chinese soil. Apple cannot operate a data center that handles Chinese citizen private data outside of China. In fact, the government required Apple to partner with a company called Cloud Big Data, which the Chinese government owns. So Apple really had no other options when it comes to this. I don't want to cast too many aspersions. I do think it is a brutal policy and inhumane to employees, but uh, at least at least in this part, I mean, I can't fully blame Apple, although you could argue the company could just choose not to operate in China. Hard to do that because China, op- uh, it represents such a huge market, but uh, which is, you know, it's kind of hard to tell investors, hey, we're not going to operate in the most populous country in the world. But um, yeah, it's a there's some real tough ethical issues here. All right. We've got a lot more news to cover, some of which doesn't even involve Apple. But first, let's take a quick break. Working remotely, where you are shouldn't dictate what you do. Work from the road by turning your vehicle into a reliable high-speed data Wi-Fi hotspot with AT&T in-car Wi-Fi. On the network that covers more roads than any other carrier, take your work on the road and AT&T will be there to keep you connected. Connect up to 10 devices and stream conference calls, finish up that presentation, or answer last-minute emails. Why wait? Go to att.com slash in-car Wi-Fi today for free trial eligibility. Based on independent third-party data, number of devices varies by manufacturer. Always pay careful attention to the road and don't drive distracted. Wi-Fi hotspot intended for passenger use only when vehicle is in operation. Compatible device and vehicle required. From BBC Radio 4, Britain's biggest paranormal podcast is going on a road trip. I thought in that moment, oh my God, we've summoned something from this board. This is uncanny usa he says somebody's in the house and i screamed listen to uncanny usa wherever you get your bbc podcasts if you dare when you think about the future what kind of technology do you envision whatever the future holds artificial intelligence will undoubtedly be at the heart of it all Join Graham Class as he hosts Season 2 of Technically Speaking, an Intel podcast from Ruby Studio in partnership with Intel. Explore the future of technology that's rapidly evolving our world today with the help of AI. There is still so much work and research needed to fully understand the power and potential of AI, and Intel is at the forefront of implementing AI in revolutionary technology that's changing the world we live in for the better. 
In each episode, Graham interviews the minds transforming medicine and healthcare, retail, entertainment, personal computing, and more while pioneering new uses for AI in these spaces. Tune in every other Tuesday and explore the latest technology that's changing our world today and creating a more accessible tomorrow. Listen to Technically Speaking, an Intel podcast on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. We are the voice of NASCAR. The green flag is in the air, and we are underway. The great American race. The Motor Racing Network. NASCAR Cup, Xfinity, and Craftsman Truck Series Racing. Live on your hometown radio station and MRN or NASCAR.com. Martinsville, Talladega, the Chicago Street Course. We have the side-by-side action and last lap passes for the win. Photo finishes. Ryan Blaney will win. The voice of NASCAR, the Motor Racing Network work we're back and we're starting to hear about what happened during a court hearing back in march of this year when two longtime meta engineers folks who had been working with facebook had to sit down and answer some questions stemming from an investigation that relates all the way back to the cambridge analytica affair you know the thing that was going on in like 2015 and 2016 And the court has recently unsealed the transcript of that hearing, which is why we're now hearing about what happened. And boy, howdy, it sounds like the court-appointed special master, a guy named Daniel Gary, was really getting frustrated the deeper he tried to go into Facebook's labyrinthian systems. So Gary was asking the engineers fairly straightforward questions, such as, where is a person's data stored? within Facebook's subsystems. We know Facebook is combing everybody for their data, collecting huge amounts of data, including generating data from inferences about what people like based upon their behaviors. But the engineers' answers were unsettling because the engineers admitted they didn't know the answer. Further, they said that it's likely no one knows that answer. Because the amount of data collected and the different ways that it's collected and the different ways that Facebook uses personal information are involving multiple subsystems that are collecting and storing this information. And it's hard to know who is collecting what and for what purpose and how frequently they're using it. So they said it's essentially impossible for us to answer these questions in a meaningful way. Like there's no way for me to answer your question. Now, in a way, I can at least understand how this happened, because Facebook is a company that grew very rapidly. It incorporated new systems at an incredible pace, and you had lots of different teams working on different projects all at the same time. These teams were sometimes operating more or less independently of each other, so there's likely overlap between projects as well as unique approaches used by specific subsystems, and Facebook never adopted a culture that you know, documented things. It just didn't. It didn't create documents about these systems to explain what they were, how they work, and what information they actually use. So there are no official documents that detail these subsystems or the types of data that flow into them. Instead, according to the engineers, the code itself is about as close as you can get to actual documentation. Now, this raises some very troubling questions. For example, how can Facebook assure that it is complying with various data privacy laws around the world 
if no one at the company actually knows where all the data is going? And the answer is, it can't. It's impossible, unless you make the ludicrous argument that there's security through obscurity. In other words, the system is so complex that no one's going to be able to find their way through it, so you don't have to worry about people abusing it. But that is not a really good answer. And so it looks like there is no way for Facebook to actually be transparent because no one at the company even knows how to make that happen. That transparency is impossible due to the way these various subsystems were designed and no one documented anything. So this transcript, this court transcript is available to read, but I warn you, it's like a descent into madness if you are at all concerned about data security and privacy. Not long ago, the U.S. government passed a bill that will provide federal money to companies that are building out semiconductor manufacturing facilities in the United States. But in order to get hands on that cold, hard cash, the companies are going to have to agree to some firm rules. And one big one is that the companies will not be allowed to build, quote, advanced technology facilities, end quote, in China for 10 years. Now, the purpose for that restriction is to protect national security, according to Gina Raimondo, the U.S. Commerce Secretary. And that's definitely a massive concern. I've talked in previous episodes about how China allegedly has a very long history of industrial espionage, stealing technology from other companies. To curb China's technological advancement, the U.S. is looking to make the states more self-reliant when it comes to semiconductor tech, as well as cut off or at least reduce the chance of Chinese spies stealing U.S. design technology. That also includes a moratorium on companies sending advanced technology to China. So they're not supposed to build facilities in China. They're not supposed to ship advanced tech to China. And really, there are other related rules that are meant to cut off this flow of technology and IP to the Chinese. Now, I have a habit of criticizing Tesla pretty harshly for lots of things. You know, I, I acknowledge I go hard against Tesla pretty frequently, but I do want to give the company its props when they are deserved. And over in Europe, Tesla's Model Y ranked first in a European safety test of driver assist systems. Now, I want to be clear here. The systems, like autopilot and full self-driving mode, are meant to be driver assist features in order to improve safety. They are not meant to be autonomous driving modes. So if you are using the systems the way they are meant to be used, then they are incredibly effective. They work very well, well enough so that Tesla took first place in these tests. But that doesn't erase the fact that some Tesla owners use these features irresponsibly, nor does it push aside the problem with Tesla's marketing of these features, which at least I feel implies that the tech can do more than it's actually capable of doing, or that it's meant to perform a job other than what it's actually designed to do. Hey, do you remember Travis Kalanick, co-founder of Uber? He's the guy who has a truly terrible reputation as far as how he treats other human beings. And he was ultimately forced to vacate his position of CEO of Uber in 2017 and to surrender his seat on the board of directors in 2019 when he cashed out of uh, Uber entirely. 
And a lot of folks point at Kalanick when they talk about the toxic work culture that was in the spotlight back in 2017. That was a very, very tough year for Uber, at least on the PR front. Kalanick has kept a relatively low profile in the public eye since then, but he's been working on something else that just got a big influx of cash thanks to Microsoft. That thing is called Cloud Kitchen. Kalanick has used the money that he made from cashing out at Uber, which amounted to like two and a half billion dollars, to initially fund this project. Uh, He has received investments from other parties as well, and he purchased stake in an existing company that was called City Storage Systems before converting that over. And City Storage Systems was buying up warehouse space in various cities. He converted that to Cloud Kitchen, which is a company that offers restaurants the chance to operate what are called dark kitchens, which sounds, you know, scary and stuff, but it's not really. A dark kitchen in this sense is a facility where a restaurant can produce its dishes specifically for delivery services like DoorDash. So the idea here is that the home restaurant can really focus on serving customers at that location, whether it's people who are dining in or picking up or whatever. And the dark kitchens will make the same dishes, but in facilities that are inside these warehouses that are dedicated just to producing meals meant for delivery services. So you can order a delivery of that delicious paella from your favorite Spanish restaurant, but it could be that the dish is actually made in a warehouse somewhere, not in that restaurant's dedicated kitchen. Anyway, Microsoft is reportedly the first U.S.-based company that had previously invested in Uber to then go and invest in Cloud Kitchen. And according to FT.com, some folks who were at least at one time associated with Cloud Kitchen are saying that the culture there is just as toxic or perhaps even worse as the bad old days at Uber, saying there's this massive issue with turnover due to that terrible culture. So... I guess some things never change. All right, we've got a few more stories that we need to cover. Before we get to that, let's take another quick break. Working remotely, where you are shouldn't dictate what you do. Work from the road by turning your vehicle into a reliable high-speed data Wi-Fi hotspot with AT&T in-car Wi-Fi. On the network that covers more roads than any other carrier, take your work on the road and AT&T will be there to keep you connected. Connect up to 10 devices and stream conference calls, finish up that presentation, or answer last-minute emails. Why wait? Go to att.com slash in-car Wi-Fi today for free trial eligibility. Based on independent third-party data, number of devices varies by manufacturer. Always pay careful attention to the road and don't drive distracted. Wi-Fi hotspot intended for passenger use only when vehicle is in operation. Compatible device and vehicle required. From BBC Radio 4, Britain's biggest paranormal podcast is going on a road trip. I thought in that moment, oh my God, we've summoned something from this board. This is Uncanny USA. He says, somebody's in the house, and I screamed... (laughs) Listen to Uncanny USA wherever you get your BBC podcasts, if you dare. When you think about the future, 
What kind of technology do you envision? Whatever the future holds, artificial intelligence will undoubtedly be at the heart of it all. Join Graham Class as he hosts Season 2 of Technically Speaking, an Intel podcast from Ruby Studio in partnership with Intel. Explore the future of technology that's rapidly evolving our world today with the help of AI. There is still so much work and research needed to fully understand the power and potential of AI. And Intel is at the forefront of implementing AI and revolutionary technology that's changing the world we live in for the better. In each episode, Graham interviews the minds transforming medicine and healthcare, retail, entertainment, personal computing, and more while pioneering new uses for AI in these spaces. Tune in every other Tuesday and explore the latest technology that's changing our world today and creating a more accessible tomorrow. Listen to Technically Speaking, an Intel podcast on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. We are the voice of NASCAR. The green flag is in the air, and we are underway. The great American race. The Motor Racing Network. NASCAR Cup, Xfinity, and Craftsman Truck Series Racing. Live on your hometown radio station and MRN or NASCAR.com. Martinsville, Talladega, the Chicago Street Course. We have the side-by-side action, and last lap passes for the win. Photo finishes. Ryan Blaney will win. The voice of NASCAR, the Motor Racing Network. Over at Google, the company is cutting way back on expenses. And we've seen a lot of tech companies in particular cut back on things like hiring. And some are going much further by laying off employees, at least in certain divisions, all in an effort to reduce expenses during our current economic turmoil. Now, I want to say recession but economists are still divided about whether or not we're actually in one. I say if it walks like a recession and quacks like a recession, it's a recession. But anyway, since there's not consensus, I'm just gonna say economic uncertainty or economic turmoil or whatever. Anyway, these cutbacks now include company travel at Google. So the company is stressing that all but the most critical of company travel should be considered off the table. And that if employees have an option to, say, attend a virtual event rather than a physical one, they should choose the virtual option. Now, if other companies follow suit, that is going to be a super tough situation for the airline industry, which heavily counts on regular business travel. And, you know, it was just starting to get back into the swing of things after the pandemic effectively eliminated nearly all travel, particularly business travel, for a long while. So we'll have to keep our eyes on this, see if this trend expands beyond Google and what effects that might cause down the line. Now, that being said, United is reportedly investing $15 million into a startup air taxi company. As the name implies, an air taxi is a vehicle that flies from point A to point B. And the idea here is that this flying vehicle will take passengers from crowded city areas to nearby airports, skipping all the terrestrial traffic. All for the low, low price of 100 bucks a seat on the low end. It could be much higher than that. United has conditionally agreed to purchase 200 air taxis with the option to buy 200 more. The startup is called Eve Air Mobility, and we should see its aircraft in operation sometime around 2026 at the earliest. 
These are going to be VTOL aircraft. That's vertical takeoff and landing. So similar to how a helicopter operates, but not an actual helicopter, maybe more like a quadcopter, but you know, vehicle sized. That's kind of that flying car concept we've been hearing about for a while now. And the hope is that United will find enough customers who are willing to pony up the cash to skip out on having to navigate through tough traffic in places like New York City and Chicago. By the way, there are already helicopter taxi services in New York that can take you from, say, Manhattan to JFK. There's a company called Blade that does that for the low, low price of 195 bucks per person. And yeah, this is expensive, right? That's a lot of money to pay for a one-way trip to an airport. But y'all, let me tell you, I have been in situations in New York where I was convinced I was going to miss my flight because I was in a taxi that was stuck in standstill traffic. And if taking this option means I can avoid a nervous breakdown, I might be willing to fork over a couple hundred bucks, especially if I could expense it. But then we get back to that story about companies cutting back on travel expenses and shucks. Also, finally, I somehow missed the news last week that Twitter announced it was going to allow users to edit tweets. This is a feature that Twitter users have been asking for for years. But now we've learned a little bit more about how that's going to work. So the edit option is only active for 30 minutes from the point when you post a tweet. And users will only be able to edit it up to five times. So if you've edited it five times or if 30 minutes have passed, that's it. You can't touch that tweet again. Moreover, this option is only going to go to a subset of Twitter Blue users. Twitter Blue is a subscription tier of Twitter service. So that means these folks who are accessing it are essentially paying to have access to that feature. It's initially launching in New Zealand, and Twitter will monitor how people use it and whether or not folks start to abuse the feature. You can imagine someone using Twitter to post something really controversial or terrible, then waiting a bit and then go back in and edit the tweet to make it appear innocent. Instigators and trolls would likely use that feature to do just that kind of thing, right? I mean, you might assume that a posted tweet is most seen within that 30 minutes of posting, because otherwise it tends to get buried below other tweets. So a troll might just decide to post something really awful, wait 29 minutes, and then go in and edit the tweet, and then you've got your plausible deniability while your followers all saw the terrible things you said and maybe take action based upon it. That's something Twitter is going to have to be on the lookout for. And you know, once upon a time, I was one of those folks who really felt there needed to be an edit feature on Twitter, specifically so you could fix innocent stuff like typos, particularly if you made a typo when you were typing out an at reply to someone and your message would otherwise go to the wrong person. But as we've seen folks weaponize their Twitter accounts in order to target vulnerable people or to spread misinformation, I have grown more concerned that an edit feature will really just help bad actors cover their tracks. Anyway, Twitter has plans to extend the rollout to countries like Australia, Canada, and the US after seeing how folks use it in New Zealand. My guess is that Twitter is going to pay very close attention to this and make tweaks on the system as they see problems arise, because I'm certain the people at Twitter are aware of the potential abuse scenarios. That's it for the news for Thursday, September 8th, 2022. 
If you have suggestions for topics I should cover on Tech Stuff, please reach out to me. One way to do that is through Twitter. The handle for the show is TechStuffHSW. Another way is to download the iHeartRadio app, which is free to download and use. Navigate over to the Tech Stuff page in the iHeartRadio app, and then you'll see a little microphone icon. If you click on that, you can leave a voice message up to 30 seconds in length and let me know what you would like to hear in future episodes. And I'll talk to you again really soon. Tech Stuff is an iHeartRadio production. For more podcasts from iHeartRadio, visit the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you listen to your favorite shows. 